We are continuing where we left off. Um, again, the uh, date is April 14th, 2019. And we're going to continue with the thought of the week. Okay, here we have the thought of the week, which is called Created in Christ Jesus. When were we created in Christ Jesus? Paul answers, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. From Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Even though we can talk about our birthday and how old we are now, we have another beginning in mind and purposes of God. Before the creation of the universe, God thought about us in a very special way. The record is that he chose us to be in Christ. Being chosen speaks of us specifically, but it does not relate to any particular talent or power within us. For whatever we are called to do, God equips us. Our choosing speaks more of God's purposes. The fact that we are reading these words right now says that there is so much more to us than salvation from Adam's fall. Once we are redeemed, the quest of our lives should be to pursue God's eternal purposes. The apostle said it best, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. From Philippians chapter 30, verse 12. Unfortunately, many will only see that God's entire purpose was to save them. Therefore, that is their highest objective in life. To walk worthy of your calling is personally fulfilling because we are doing the very thing we were created in Christ to do. It fits us like a glove over hand. Our steps, to be, our steps can be filled with the importance of his purpose and our presence reflects his impact in the world, here and now. That is the thought of the week. I would just like to add some commentary in that. We did mention salvation when we talked about, I mentioned the, the fall of Adam. More specifically, Adam sinned uh, because he disobeyed a simple commandment from God. And sin came from one man, Adam. Separation from God is the result that God could no longer have a relationship with humans in the same sense that he could have before sin came into the world. So God pronounced a judgment that would come from what Adam did, that all those who come from Adam would be condemned. This was God's judgment and his declaration because of what Adam did, not because of what we do. We do not earn condemnation. But the work of the Spirit is alive and powerful. What God has to communicate to us through salvation is spiritual information. And the Holy Spirit's job is to persuade us about that spiritual information so that we, through the exercise of our volition, can change our mind, turn away from ourselves, and turn toward God and listen to what He has to say about what salvation means and what it means, especially in the church age. And this is all done through the work of the Holy Spirit in us 
eventually this communication can happen in um, in ways that we in terms that we can understand. And even in, including Adam himself and in every age, it is the same information for his salvation. That he who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is born again, whereas their spirit is quickened or comes to life, as you may put it. And we are changed from being condemned to being justified. Not because of what we did, not because of works done in righteousness, but because of what God did on our behalf. And that is my commentary for the thought of the week. Thanks. Now we'll have the prayer. Thanks, Dwight. Appreciate it. <clears throat> Let's uh, take a moment and uh, look to God in prayer. We'll, I'll ask if there are any re special requests that uh, we could make mention of or just bring to the table. If we bring them to the table, then that means God already knows our hearts. But we are calling them out as a group. I pause for a sec. <clears throat> We pray that my efforts are fruitful to um, give the gospel in terms that people can understand um, for those that I encounter. Absolutely. All right, <clears throat> let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our being here, and not just the physical part of it, but the fact that you chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. We are just thinking about that thought for a moment and saying thank you for choosing us to be in this age. We thank you for this church that we have, uh, and we understand it is not only us, but every believer in this age is part of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we pray for them. We pray for their pursuits in this world, which is to advance your plan and call many sons into glory. We pray for those who are unsaved. And we, we're asking that we will have, uh, that you will equip us with what we need to go out and tell people about your glorious gospel. Uh, in particular, all of us have pursuits. Dwight has just mentioned one where he wants to be more effective. And I think that echoes uh, in everybody's mind that we want to we want to work for you. We want to do uh, the work of the gospel. If you could use us in any way, we, we pray. We pray for the hearts of those who are resisting you as well in this world, that we might be able to witness to them clearly what the issues of the gospel are. And then they will have their choice to make. We thank you for <clears throat> for life, health, and strength, and traveling uh, for for those who are traveling right now, and uh, for the travels that are coming. We're praying for your mercy on the roads that you keep us safe and bring us back, so we can continue to keep our focus and learn and grow. And in truth, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we we'll, we're going to continue <clears throat> where we left off. We are in Amen. this 
Thank you. We're in the midst of one verse, which has, this is our third swing at it. Is it the verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we all must, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we've been thinking about that phrase, and you have some notes, hopefully, before you. And in your notes, <clears throat> when we reach the place where we give an account, we will give an account of ourselves to our Lord, we will most, most certainly realize how important was the time we had on the battlefield. Of course, some already know that each hour, day, and year we have in the world is on display and being chronicled. Just as surely as we are all alive, we will stand this judgment. No misconceptions, no distortions, but we will have a clear record for the eternal future of what we did or did not do. Remember, our Lord was judged for every sin we would ever commit. So sin is not the issue here. The issue is about our contribution to the eternal plan. To be in such a pivotal role, we have an obligation to represent our Lord. Allow God's eternal purpose here to define your motivation. So we, we have covered a couple of the phrases already for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we, we, we talked about what that meant, the importance of it being Christ the judge. Um, we talked about this is the final reckoning. Right? And if we think about the final reckoning, and we're not talking about sins, and we're, sins were already judged, but this is it right here, where God is going to evaluate what you did when you were here on earth. Now, of course, speaking retrospectively as though we were at the judgment seat of Christ, that's what the evaluation period is. And um, so one thing to note in all of this is <clears throat> it, just, it just says that your life is transparent here. There's no secrets between what we do and God, and, and God, it, it's on display. God can see right through you. There's nothing that we have that is hidden before God. I know we don't like to talk about such things because um, it, it, it's naked. It's revealing of our deepest thoughts and motivations. But that is where it is, it's about. God has put us on display. Everybody can see. It's like you're a celebrity and every part of your life is, is just laid bare before everybody else. Well, it's not like a celebrity for real because God knows the real deal. He knows what's really in your thoughts. So you might have said that, but what you meant or what you really have in your heart was this. Yeah, God can know what all of those things are. So we're transparent to him. We're 
we're on display for him. So when the judgment seat of Christ comes, don't just think about it in terms of, well, yeah, the books are going to be opened and then he's going to judge me out of those things that are written in the books. Yeah. While sin is not the issue, as we already said, he's not going to bring up sins that were already judged in Christ. So this is not about that. God's not trying to see whether you're going to be condemned or not. That's already done. You're saved and you will never be lost. You have crossed over from death to life. You, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And all of that is absolutely true. You have eternal life. Not about that. So well, the books are open and all that. Well, who do you think wrote in the books? Right? That's an analogy. That's a metaphor. To say that God knows everything already that's in your heart. He, he, he knew your motivations and thoughts. But you had to work them out. You had to actually walk in those steps of choices. And you made them. Now you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And <clears throat> so you don't have to worry about anything embarrassing. Some sin that you liked and, and pursued and indulged in. Or that's all not a part of it. It's about the motivation you had toward the contributions of the eternal plan. And it's one thing, if it would have been about sin, we could have said, yeah, I'm ashamed of that. I'm I'm ashamed of that. But when, when it's about the Lord Jesus Christ standing before you, who gave everything, and then on top of that was judged for every sin you would ever commit, That's who you're standing in front of. So what did you do for the eternal plan of God? That's what he did. What did you do? What did you want to do? So we can't leave this this verse without just delving into these thoughts. I, I don't want to leave it without us thinking about the impact of these verses on our lives. We, will, we must, each of us, I don't care what you say. In 1 Corinthians 3, you could say that, oh, um, that verse in context is referring to ministers. He's talking about Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and right, leaders who, were, who had influence over the Corinthian church. You could say that. But in, in this verse, it tells us that every one of us, all of us, every single one of us must stand, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So can't pawn that off on ministers and say, yeah, well, that, that's only for ministers. They have the responsibility, yes. But no, this is for every single person in the church. We have a responsibility before God, for sure. And then we can think about rewards. Those of us who persisted in the plan of God and focused our attention on living our lives in such a way that it would augment the eternal purposes of God, God says, I'm going to reward you for for allowing me to use you in this, on the battlefield, in the devil's world. 
I'm going to reward you for that. I, I, in fact, I'm going to reward every man for whatever good that he's done. Because in, in a way, God is using you to have influence in the world. You are being used as a conduit to have, for God to have influence in the world. And God's saying, for your permission for me to do that, for, you're allowing me to, to have that influence through you, I will reward you for. Now, those words, rewards are eternal. We, we, they're not just something that will phase away after we had the millennium or something. These rewards will last, or you will have them. They will be distinct and, and uh, different. You, you will differentiate yourself through all eternity. That is huge. That's huge. That's big to think about. It's not something... You know what that's like? That's like salvation in some respects. Now, salvation changes the course of your eternal destiny. I mean, you can get to that crossroad of salvation, and you could say, well, if you believe in Christ, you will have eternal life. If you reject him, you will not see life, and the wrath of God will remain, continue on you. That's a crossroad, and your choice in that matter will result, I mean, in huge, marked differences for how you spend eternity. Whether you have eternal life with God, and you have the righteousness of God, and all of that, whether you spend your life in judgment, or in opposition to God's righteous standards, and forever, you always... No, we don't want to be on that side. I don't even want to go down the road of thinking about it. Because everyone everyone here has already made the choice. But think about how important that choice is. It's vital to your spiritual existence. And then when we think about rewards, we don't say, well, we'll get them, we won't, we won't get them, we will. It doesn't matter. You know, some people have these thoughts like, oh, well, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm just going to have my cake and eat it too. I'm going to be like Esau. You know, I'm going to live in the moment. And then I won't have to worry about. I'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I'm not worried about what's going to happen in eternity. Now, that's short vision there. That's no eternal vision. So anytime we get verses that make us stop and think about it, now, I just don't want you to read over it. That's why I say we have to stop and think about this verse a little bit. We can't rush past it. Because ultimately, the fabric of what we're made of, what we stand for, why we're here in the first place, bears on all of these thoughts. We need to make sure that... That we see this. Now, you, you still have the liberty of doing it your way, however you choose. I just hope your way is the way of Christ, right? the way that he designed for us from eternity past. Now, I can't make that decision for you. I can only make it for myself. 
and I have to, I'm in the same boat as you, right? It's my choices. Whatever I say here today, uh, really, it's what I do that matters. What, 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 the mot- what is the motivation in my heart and how I carry it out is what matters. Same as you, no difference. Each of us must give a, an account of ourselves so that we may receive what is due us while in the body. So that's the phrase that we're on now. We're at point number three in our notes, which is for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We need to talk about that. So first point is for the things done. What can be done while we are here? That's what we need to think about, for the things done. That means we, there's something that you can do for God. Now, you can't do anything for your salvation, right? This is a thought. Salvation is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, not by works done in righteousness, right? It's simply looking away from ourselves and putting our trust in Christ, who is the Savior of all the world. And so that, no, we can't do anything for God. God already did it. And he did it in a way that aligns with his perfect righteousness. So don't come back to God saying, well, I did it. And I did it this way. God said, no, 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 no. It has to be done in a way that agrees, that corresponds with my perfect righteousness. If you don't do it that way, you will be rejected. If you try to bring your works, you will be sorely disappointed. The Jews had that understanding, and it says they tried to establish their own righteousness, Romans 10, and they refused to submit to the righteousness that comes from God. So that is the thought. We had to make sure that we submit to the righteousness that comes from God, not our own way of thinking about things, our own standards. So when it comes to our decision for rewards and what we can do and all that, we can do something in this arena. This is something we can and and the fact that we do it, it it's on us, right? We can't claim, oh, well, this is the grace of God. Whether I get a reward or not, it's all grace. God is, if God gives it to me, then I, well, I'll be so thankful for God giving me that. No, this is something you can do personally. Because otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about rewards here. God's not going to give rewards for service for what Christ did. What Christ did, he did. He's going to be highly exalted and given a name that is above every name. In the name of Christ, every niche about every. He's already going to get recognition for what he did. The question is, What have you done and what will you do? If you don't do anything, (laughs) then just know there will not be rewards. This is not going to be like some curb that is graded, that you're graded on, that somehow everybody gets a reward, everybody gets a prize. 
Some people are not going to do anything, and that's their choice, and they will not be rewarded. That is the bottom line. But just know, you can do something for God. Now, this is, obviously, there's some learning when it comes to this. There is. This is not something we can just walk away saying, okay, um, the way my life is lived and the things that I do, well, they'll be pleasing to God. No. As I said, just in sal- as in salvation, God has standards, and obviously they make a big difference. And now in this pursuit, when it comes to living the spiritual life, living the Christian life in this age, there are also standards. <laughs> you, some people will be surprised to know. It's not whatever makes you feel good, whatever you think is right, whatever you want to do. The standards are related to God's eternal purposes and why he called you here in the first place. I mean, it only makes sense. Think about it that way. So in this first point, I just want you to realize that some, you can do some things that God is going to be pleased with. You can do something for God. Imagine. Isn't that the pursuit of all of everybody? I want to work for God. I want to do something for God. I want to be impactful for God. I want to, well, you can do something for God. But you're going to have to learn first what pleases him. So take that motivation and put your feet on the wheat, the pedals, right? The pedals that God has. Make, make sure you, you walk in the, the right path that he wants you to walk. Take all that motivation and make sure you're walking the way that God wants you to walk. That's important. So let's think about that. I'm going to look at the two uh, ways that you, you may respond. So it says, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Right now I want to just look at good. I want to look at bad. So, so the first point is good. Means It means allowing ourselves to be filled or led by the Spirit. Producing good works. Now this is, I just, whenever I come to this point, I always have to emphasize what it means to be led or filled by the Spirit. Remember, we already, I kind of covered all this already in the, pre, the previous point, but Subpoints of this would be allowing ourselves to be filled or led. So God is not saying figure it out on your own. Just go ahead and if you figure it out, then no, because the figuring out part, God has. He's responsible to tell us what it is. It's our responsibility to walk in the way <coughs> that he wants us to, to, to go, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you have to submit to the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit means you have to follow his leading. So the Holy Spirit is there to tell us which way to go, to reveal the plan to us. So that but the motivation, that the, the desire and the impetus to walk in that plan comes from us. We have to bring something to the table. It's not just going to be all God. So, so there is a responsibility on your part. So Galatians or Ephesians 5, 18, 
uh, let's look at it. Uh, we've covered these scriptures so much, I can almost quote them, but I, I defer to what the word actually says here. Ephesians 5, <coughs> 18 says, do not get drunk on wine. Now, just to note, if you got drunk on wine, if you ever did, before that happened, and you were inebriated, guess what you had to do? You had to submit to drinking, unless somebody tricked you. Right? So, oh, this isn't alcohol, this is just punch. And then you drank it, and you thought it was punch, but it tasted a little funny. Next thing you know, you felt a little funny. So to be drunk or inebriated is a willful thing. You have to choose that, generally speaking. Don't just get drunk on wine, which leads to drunkenness, debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. So each one of those things is a voluntary response from you. To drink well, requires that you submit to that. To be uh, filled with the Spirit means that influence, you have to submit to that. In the same way you submitted to that, the same way you have to submit to this. It's a volitional choice. I know we haven't always talked about it from that standpoint. We, oh, don't be drunk on wine, which is an influence. Well, people think, yeah, drunk on wine. Yeah, we get that. Well, drunk on wine is a volitional choice. That's the point here. You could submit, and that'll be the story about you. You're drunk. You, uh, or you could submit to the Holy Spirit, and this is going to be the story about you. You're going to walk in truth. You're going to fulfill the plan of God. Right? This is important. Fill with the Spirit. And it talks about what all that means in the next few verses in the church. Or in Galatians 5... <clears throat> Excuse me. Galatians five sixteen. It says it says so I so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So so again, it's the same thing. How you walk means to conduct yourself, to order your steps, order your life. It's a volitional choice to walk by means of the influence of the Spirit. The Spirit is not just some force that is can go any way or the other. Whichever way it goes is the way you choose. No, <clears throat> the Spirit here has a particular way that you should go. And you have to submit to that. Full, fully understanding what it means. In other words, you know the plan. The key is, will you walk in it? What are we, why are we talking about this? Because these things matter when we're talking about what happens when you get to the judgment seat of Christ. And we're talking about the good or the bad. We can almost understand what the bad is from, our, from just listening to what the good is. So it's allowing ourselves, right? Volitionally, submitting to be filled led by the Spirit, hence producing good works. In John 15, there's also that analogy we covered in, where I am the vine, you are the branches. If, if you abide in me, you can bear fruit. 
right? What kind of fruit are we going to bear if we abide in uh, Christ? Well, we're going to bear whatever fruit the vine dresser planted. The vine dresser is the father. He's the one um, who it's his vineyard, and he chose what he wants, what kind of fruit he wants. So if we're thinking uh, grapes, as long as we, as branches, abide, notice they're breaking up, what a metaphor, what a metaphor that is. We're breaking up the, the branches from the vine and the fruit and so forth. Each one of them have a part to play. But notice each one is dependent on the other. The fruit is dependent on the branch. The branch is dependent on the vine. The vine is dependent on what the vine dresser originally planted. So the Father's plan is important here. We, we're not the fruit, but we are used in the process of making the fruit. Whether there'll be fruit or not on your branch depends on whether you abide in the vine. And that, again, is a volitional choice. First, knowing the plan, the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. That means we have to even want to know the plan. We can't just say, well, okay, I know the plan, and I'll do whatever. No, you have to submit. So God gave pastor teachers to, so, so for the equipping of the saints so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge in the Son of God and become mature, uh, attaining to the full measure and stature of Christ. So we, God is, you don't have to dig it out. God says, I'm going to dig it out for you. I'm going to present it to you. But all you have to do is be willing. You have to be willing to know what the plan is. You have to be willing to walk in the plan. And the Holy Spirit will help. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will, he will give you power, energy, all those things. But your will is important in this regard. Bad. Let's go to bad. Allowing the influence or the temptation from the sin nature to direct our behavior, producing bad works. Bad works, first of all, come from the sin nature. We, we, we got to know that. Producing bad works comes from the sin nature. Why would we produce bad works? It would be a false motivation, right? Sin nature threw up some plan or some something that would excite us and make us happy, or this is a good plan that would we could benefit. It, there's something in it for us, or something, right? It's not the Father's plan. Sin nature threw that up, and we went for it, hook, line, and sinker. Now we're living for self. Now we're we're living to fulfill our dreams, our plans, and no matter what, that's not going to satisfy God. In fact. He will reject those things. So there's some interesting things. Uh, sin nature, as I said, all sins have been judged in Christ, and they won't be mentioned. But works have not been judged. Works and sins are different. We should know that. And even at the judgment seat of Christ, it says that the books will be opened and the dead will be judged from the things written in the books according to their works, what they have done. 
their motivation is what the reason for what they have done and all of those things will be judged the motives the intents of the heart all of that they will be judged according to the standard of god and obviously found wanting bad first corinthians 3 11 through 15 we know <clears throat> let's read it since we're we're at these verses first corinthians 3 11 says for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is jesus christ pretty self-explanatory that's obviously salvation if anyone builds on this foundation now so again it's a, so you have jesus christ as a foundation and you're building so in this regard it's referring to pastors so the foundation they're all preaching salvation but then how we live is different and this is why a lot of people look at these verses and see the beginnings of de denom denominationalism <laughs> i was going to say demon demonic but no denominationalism and they see the beginnings of that in these the corinthians here right because hey this is the way we worship according to this and this is the way we worship according to that we're all christians but hey we got different ways of looking at this well this is what happened in the early corinthian church the ministers were teaching one thing another minister he he may have been doing it a different way so you know what he says don't worry the foundation is jesus christ and anyone who builds on that foundation, and if they use gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw. So, so there's different building materials that can be used. Obviously, gold, silver, precious stones will be preferred. Wood, hay, straw would also be preferred. And notice there's some latitude in what is chosen by the minister. Notice that. He, he, how did, did he just pick up the gold or just pick up any material? No, he chose what he wanted to teach. And he's responsible for that. Otherwise, we shouldn't even be talking about a judgment. If there's no responsibility here. So their work, verse 13, will be shown for what it is. Whose work? Their work. So that's when we talked about going back before. Yeah, there is something you can do for God. And we should say, yeah, there is something that God expects you to do for him. And God's going to judge it at the end. Their work should, will be shown for what it is. They're transparent. <laughs> we may not know exactly, but God sees exactly what they're doing. The day will bring it to light. That's a night-day thing, right? They may have been working in the night, but the day, well, sure, certainly going to be uh, bring, you'll be able to see what it is plainly. It will be revealed with fire. Fire represents judgment. We're not talking about the lake of fire here. I hope people realize that. Everybody here does, I know, but I've heard some people use this verse wrong. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work what is judged here sins nope work aragon sins are not mentioned why are sins not mentioned well it's logically sins have already been judged in christ there's no need to judge read pull those back up and judge them again for what 
God already knew what those sins were, and he put them on Christ, and he punished Christ for your sins, and he feels good about it. That's the word propitiation. He's satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. We just have to always say that because people get this confused. Rewards, gifts, it's a problem. So they're going to go through the fire. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Who will receive the reward? The builder, the minister, in this context, will receive a reward. Why? God did everything. God is the one who saved him. God, no, but there's a part that we can play. And there's the compensation that we get for playing that role, a reward. If what is burnt, if it is burned up, what he has built, that is, the builder will suffer loss. What, is, what do we mean? He put a lot of effort into this. His motivation and everything was was this. Maybe he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. Maybe he just ignored all of God's promptings of what is right and went his own way. Obviously, he went his own way because it doesn't survive. He built with the wrong building materials. And then it says <clears throat> he will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. In other words, he had to notice the analogy. All the wood, hay, and straw was burned off, but he arrives through the fire on the foundation. All the life's work, effort, motivation is shown up to be what it is. Wood, hay, straw. So, so this is important for us. Make sure we, if we're talking about bad, then there is, we must also look at Hebrews. And we're going to move quicker because, look, my time is, is running out again. Hebrews 6, uh, verses <clears throat> 7 through 10. So 7 says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it. And it produces a crop useful for those whom, for whom it is farmed. It receives blessing, the blessing of God. So this is a reward. Receives the blessing of God. Now, so the land is us. As a believer in, in Christ and, and in this age, we are the land. And we have the opportunity to drink. So you would think, well, land must drink in the, the rain that falls upon it. Right? But if, if the land drinks in the rain, but still chooses to go its own way. So, and the result of it is it produces, and, and this is verse 8, thistles, thorns and thistles, sticker bushes. And uh, the sticker bushes huge stickers. I don't want to go into the details, but it's worthless. It's not good. It's in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It's the same analogy as what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 3, but this is not just ministers. This is everybody. This is an analogy that's pretty broad, just like the one we're in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's very broad, talking about every one of us. 
So you got one producing a crop, and similar to the John 15 analogy, and it's a blessing, and they're rewarded for that. But then another one, land that produces thorns and thistles, is worthless. It's no good. It comes from the sin nature. Anything that comes from the sin nature will be judged and thrown out, burned. Can't be used. It can't be rewarded. Verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. Things that have to do with salvation or that accompany salvation. So what's interesting in this verse, I would say the same thing of us. We have to talk about such things, but the fact that we're here, and I said that when we opened, the fact that we are here speaks volumes to our motivation already. We already have the motivation to want to, to know the things of God. Wanting to walk in those things or, or to be transformed by them is up to you. I, 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 a lot of people won't even show up. So they, they can't even avail themselves. They make choices that will block them from even, even hearing what God has for them. So they're, they're in a worse situation, but they've done it by their own volition. So bad, whether good or bad, bad is again, is, there is no condemnation. Bad does not mean uh, God deemed you as sinful or listen, every sin was already judged. Now the works that came from our sin nature will be judged. And there will be no recognition for those works, no honor uh, for your volitional choices. There will those works will be discarded and you will come through yet so as through the flames point b let's move forward we gotta gotta move forward here again good bad is relative to our calling not simply what may seem right or wrong in our own eyes we are here for a purpose so good bad whether uh, remember it's not good bad you know, for what we consider good, bad, like Santa Claus, you know, whether we're bad or good, be good for goodness sake and all that. Good, bad is, is relative to our calling. And that's in this particular age. God especially called us for a, for a purpose in this age, the mystery. If you don't know anything about that, or if you haven't learned anything about that, you don't care about that, you are not fulfilling the calling for which you have received. You are not. Let's just say it. You are not even beginning. You reject the, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And you call the things that, uh, you know, God is doing foolishness. And, and all of that speaks to your motivation anyway. You chose that. So good or bad, like I said, is relative to our calling. It's related to that. It's tied to that, right? We're not going to be judged based on what an Israelite did or what they were required to do. We're going to be judged based on what a church-age believer is called and required to do. I think I already made this point. So we are here for a purpose.
That's, and if we can't fulfill that purpose, then obviously we were not successful. God is fulfilling a purpose by calling many sons into glory. But there is an added uh, reward for those who allow God to use them in this particular age. Point C, let's move forward. In the body or tent, the earthly tent we live in, home in the body, away from the Lord. In other words, while we are here, serving the Lord on the battlefield. So, uh, that's what it says in the beginning part of this phrase, while for the things done while in the body, meaning away from the Lord in this earthly tent. Right? All of those just say, while we're on the battlefield. This is the time of judgment, right? Where God is going to evaluate. It's, it's from the time you believed in Christ to the time you were either caught up to meet him, the Lord in the air, or you were absent from the body and present with the Lord. That time when you were here on earth is the time of your evaluation from the time you became a believer. He's not going to judge you based on the time you were not a believer. As you, because Christ took that judgment for you. But the time you became a believer, your works are going to be judged. Because you can't even do good works unless you're a believer. So there's no question about when this is. It's not even possible to do good works unless you are a believer in Christ. There's none who do good in Adam in terms of unbelievers, not even one. So, so notice the period of time. And, that, and for you who are alive, breathing, with your eyes wide open right now, that time is now. And forget about what was behind. Forget about past failures and past accomplishments where you say, oh, I've been to the mountaintop. I've done it. I, was, I used to be this. And I forget about all that and start thinking about the Father's plan and how you can learn about it and pursue it. I could say learning about it is addictive to your pursuit. So if you learn about it, the motivation is built within that learning. It is exciting. You're learning about you, basically. And you're learning about the possibilities of what you can and cannot do, the gifts that you have been given. You're focused now on serving on the battlefield. That's important. So, point D, moving forward. Rewards for service are often used as motivation to help those fledgling in their salvation. So, when I say help people in their salvation, it doesn't mean that they don't have salvation or their salvation is less than or something. Their salvation is the same salvation that everyone else has. But for them, they have problem when it comes to the second phase of living the Christian way of life. It's because you fail in the Christian way of life does not take away from your salvation. So loss of rewards for service, just like we saw in the First Corinthians passage, yeah, that person has a foundation. They're going through the flames. 
None of those false motivations will survive, but they will. Their salvation is not affected by loss of rewards. This is big for the Christian world because they have tied salvation to living the Christian way of life. And, and re, they've looked at salvation as a reward for service. Wrong thought. If we don't separate this and teach it this way, then we're going to be in danger of leading people astray. Going to, we're teaching that salvation is some kind of reward, and you better be good or for goodness sake, you know, like Santa Claus. Because otherwise you won't get <coughs> what is good. So, but God uses rewards for service as a motivation to help people who are struggling in their salvation, fledgling, as well as children. And when I say children, I mean napios. Um, napios is like a stubborn child who refuses to go grow. And the example I give is 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. Now, 1 Corinthians 2 <coughs> is pretty deep. He talks about some profound things in 1 Corinthians 2. He talks about the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And... But God has revealed these things through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We have the mind of Christ. This is what we teach. Not as, by human wisdom, but by words taught us by the Spirit. So, deep things in 1 Corinthians 2. But then in 3, he says, you know, I'd love to teach, continue teaching you these things, but you know what? You're not even... Uh, able to comprehend these things because you're babies. And the term he used was not just a new babe in Christ, not a new believer. But the term he used was napios, meaning you're, you refuse to grow. You, you should have grown up by now, but you refuse to grow. That means you, again, it's a volitional choice. And, and he tells them why they're having trouble. Because there's envying and strife and all these things. You guys, you can't even get out of your own way here. You made wrong choices. And that's why you're still not able to understand the Christian way of life. You're focused on false motivations, false things. And those things get in the way of you growing. And this is, again, a choice that you make. If God expects us to rise above, then that means we have a responsibility. He has laid it out for us. And we make the choices which way we walk. So, so this, in, in a nutshell, is to say, yes, <clears throat> we can do something for God. Do you want to do something for God? If you do, then there is a particular way, and you must walk. God is no respecter of persons. <coughs> he will reward everyone according to what he has done. There's no doubt 
you know, not to fear the judgment seat of Christ from I'm scared of God. The fear should be a an awesome respect for God and who he is and the place that he occupies. And he's the one who created us and called us to this purpose. It should be a deep respect that we have for him, a reverence and honor of his person, and, and, a, and a willingness to want to submit to him and knowing that he's a good God and has the highest goals and standards. And not only that, the best for us as well. There's nothing but good for us. And when we think of him in contrast to Satan, who is evil, deceptive, and lying, and always railing against God, and seeking, his motivation is to uh, supplant and to and to tempt and to pull away from God and to destroy. And on, conversely, we have a good God who operates on principles of his righteous standards and, as I said, is no respect of persons. So these are things that we have to contend with. I won't uh, continue we're going to continue next week with uh, the next verse, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Lord. We're so happy to be here. As I said earlier, I again reiterate that that we are pleased to be in this age at this particular point in time as we show up here we, we want to make an impact for you we want to learn your plan we want to walk in the ways so that when we do get to that point we will not be ashamed but we will know that there's a reward waiting for us just like the apostle paul who has fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. And he knows that there is a crown of righteousness for him when he reaches the judgment seat of Christ. So we thank you for the motivation that is ours, that is given uh, from the Holy Spirit to help us along our way. And we pray for this church that each of us may fulfill the destiny that we have before us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.